So in this kind of an environment, we have to think about what is next? What does it mean to be going back to normal? What is new normal? I think everybody wants to go back to what it was. And I am saying, look, that doesn't work. And we need a new design. Until you design it differently, we are not going to be able to solve all the problems we have. Thank you for joining the Change I Am Possible, which is India's first future tech podcast. And today I'm delighted and honored to have with me Mr. Sam Pitorda, who's known as the father of India's computer and IT revolution. He was an advisor to the Prime Minister of India, Mr. Rajiv Gandhi, and also held an advisory tenure under Prime Minister Dr. Manmohan Singh. Mr. Pitorda is an internationally respected development thinker, policy maker, telecom inventor, author, investor, and an entrepreneur. He is credited with having laid the foundation of India's technology and telecommunication revolution. He was the founder and the first chairman of India's Telecom Commission. Mr. Petrodas helped revolutionize India's development philosophies and policies with a focus on access to technology as the key to social change. Currently, he is a founder, investor, and chairman of six startups and several non-profit foundations and the chairman of Indian Overseas Congress. Mr. Petroda holds over 100 patents and is published and lectured extensively in US, Europe, India, and Latin America. His new book titled Redesign the World was launched earlier this year and is available on all e-com platforms and plus shops here in India. So thank you for taking time and being part of the podcast. Thank you for inviting and thank you for the opportunity. So India has been the worst nation when it came to COVID death, second only to America. The government's response to the pandemic was abysmal. Foreign media and citizens were not afraid of being trolled by the BJP bucks, criticized the way the BJP government handled the pandemic. So as a passionate policymaker who has been closely associated in part of the previous government, how do you think the government responded to the COVID crisis? First of all, we are all in the same boat when it comes to COVID. COVID has emphasized the fact that we are all interconnected, interwoven, interrelated and interdependent. Nothing in this world can be isolated. COVID affected everybody rich and poor, urban, rural, educated and educated, young and old, in different countries had different responses. When I look at situation in India from a distance, I feel that we didn't quite handle it as well as we should have. Part of the problem lies in deep-rooted systems in India. First, scientific mindset. To handle something like this, you need scientific mindset, logical thinking, rational approach, belief in science and expertise associated with it, and not listen to religious sentiment, need of the hour. I mean, two things that come to my mind. One is Kumbh Mela. Another one is elections. And on the other hand, what comes to my mind is the migrant workers, how they were treated, how they had to leave their work. So I think scientific temper is one big issue. Second issue that affected this is our institutional's autonomy. Our institutions, whether it is media or judiciary, 
or security and police did not act in public interest but acted more in political interest there are times where institutions have to go against the wisdom of the government and you need that autonomy freedom flexibility to be able to stand up and say hey this is not right and i think media quite didn't do their job as independent servant of the public third is civil society i think in india civil society has a huge role to play they have played an important role in the past and in a crisis like covid-19 they could have played even better role though they did play an important role lot of civil society and public came to help each other good in people did come out but i think civil society has been essentially undermined and to some extent killed with all kinds of rules and regulations inability to bring money people have been harassed with income tax raids and in an environment like that where institutions are captured civil society is not allowed to function properly and scientific temper is undermined with religious fervor and all kinds of you know sort of messages like cow dung should be used cow urine should be used and those kinds of things complicate handling of a complex situation like this so i think from my perspective all of these things added to on top of this misinformation campaign lies about how many people died where did they die it was confusion misinformation and it hurts so my heart goes out to many many people in india who lost their loved ones who suffered through this crisis and i think we could have handled it very differently according to new york times roughly 4 million people died when government says 400000 there is a huge difference so i think overall public is not happy with the way it was handled global community has criticized us a great deal but at the end of the day people of india had to suffer that's all right right yeah so so i hear you because i think you opened up so many things over here you know it, it's been over a year it's a year and four months since we got uh, got into a lockdown and hit by the pandemic and you pointed out you know, the wrongs of the government though i do not completely agree because yes i mean i am someone who's who's got no political you see, the affiliation point is we all see things in our own ways right right okay this is my view doesn't have to be right exactly 100%. exactly no? exactly but this is how i see it right and right. i'm not very close to it right okay. yeah, so i I, I do not have any political affiliation to any party i feel the technology is the way, 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 way forward and and that is something i think can create huge transformation you pointed out the various wrongs with the government and i do agree with some of them because there is a religious pol- polarization the uh, i i do believe that you, when you mentioned that institutional autonomy was not there there are there, there are 
organizations which instead of coming together and supporting the people who are disrupted by pandemic was trying to make money from the hospitals to the banking industry to everyone nobody really cared about the common man the migrant death data at this point i'm like you've rightfully said is being hidden by the government and we don't really know the job loss you know which uh, uh, or, or that, that there's no data whatsoever voices are being stifled i do understand that but then there i clearly see that there is a scientific mindset and logical thinking with some of the the leaders in, in the ruling party but there is not a collective effort to look at this problem and figure out to solve this problem if you were part of the ruling party or you were with the ruling party what would be the policies or implementations that you would have suggested which you think would have had created difference first of all my response was not to ruling party so let's clarify my response was to what happened in india because there are states where there is no ruling party okay so don't generalize it right by saying response was to ruling party response was to india overall indian response lacked according to me scientific approach mobilization of civil society and independence of the institutions technology did play an important role but then technology had played an important role everywhere whether it is communication cell phone testing evaluation data gathering and ability to work from home with broadband connectivity ability to conduct some amount of education so all of that helped without the kind of technology we have today it would have been even worse so that's given i don't think that's for debate it has nothing to do with how we could have done any more it has to do with what do we do going forward i don't think one person can come up with one set of ideas and change things around because you need political will you need support of the government non government machineries so to answer your question if i was there i would have focused on more scientific thinking constantly go to the media and at a national level as a leader or on behalf of the leader in every state every district not just prime minister and say look there is a science behind it gomutra is not going to solve your problem puja is not going to get you out of corona crisis mantra and aartis will not result in anything you need masking you need social distancing you need to wash your hands this is the science so stop believing in who do science right right yeah fair enough i would have mobilized all voluntary agencies supported them told them that for a year and a half don't worry about funding bring funding wherever you can we will not question you okay it is not the time to scrutinize what you do it is time for you to rise up and help community go and help people in the field and three i would have said to institutions your responsibility is to public and only to public right now so give right data 
being right thing in focus. That's what I would have done. That's what anybody would have done. How could I identify three problems and say I want to address those three problems? Those are the three problems I would address, along with other things. Right. I completely agree with you that yes, there was no genuine effort by the government to help the community because what they did was the opposite because they were trying to hide the data of the death of the migrants or the job loss and and and, and so many other things now there there's various governments around the world came up with a stimulus package to support uh, its people in, in the us there was a direct direct cash payment of 1400 us dollars to every individual india also came up with an atmanirbhar bharat uh, fund uh, it claimed to be a 20 lakh crore package but as as an sme who who uh, you know i have got stories of so many startups who were deeply disrupted had to shut shop i, I was among the one of the startups who had to shut up my traditional business and i incurred huge loss and there was no support the only thing was the came out was banks gave moratorium extended moratorium and what that did was something which was heavily tilted in the favor of the bank and it was basically another way to uh, you know take take squeeze out more interest from the the The, the the startup community and everything and, and and the startup community was only getting loans and the biggest chunk was going to some of the biggest companies in the banking industry would you like to share your views on the government's 20 lakh crore stimulus package and first of all i don't know enough about it except whatever i read in media on and off which sometimes i don't believe so i'm probably not qualified to answer in terms of details but at a macro level i agree that you need massive stimulus package like we had in the us and you also need ability to execute that just announcing doesn't get the job done how do you implement a program like this when institutions are crumbling and all of this is interconnected when media is captured how do you execute on a massive program like this is a big challenge in us i can tell you everybody got part of the benefits whether you were a small industry i know many many who got their payroll check little late here and there but they got it all individuals got in their bank account 1400 dollars as promised because the execution was proper because institutions were allowed to function because there was autonomy freedom flexibility what are your views on universal basic income because that is something which uh, mr i strongly believe in it right i believe world over there is huge amount of inequality technology has increased inequality many ways very few people are very rich and lots of people can't make ends meet you go to silicon valley you have billionaires all over in city of san francisco and there are people thousands and thousands on the street in the same town so we must take care of people at the bottom of the economic pyramid the top down approach hasn't worked where people expected trickle down effect there is no trickle down effect because at the top they want to hold as much as they can americans went to china for production because one 
they saw that they can save 10 cents on a dollar. In the process, they killed local jobs. Local communities were devastated because their idea of globalization was focused on optimizing profits and not really optimizing human capital, human development, or local community. US also went to China because partly they didn't want to deal with labor unions. Let the labor problems go to somewhere else and we will in cash profit. So I think until you realize that the development has to come from bottom up and not top down, but development can only come from bottom up if there is a purchasing power at the bottom. So you've got to give some purchasing power to people at the bottom of the economic pyramid. Narega, a program launched during Dr. Manmohan Singh's time, was criticized in the early days. A lot of modern economists thought this was dole, hand out to people. But look what Narega has done. People don't even talk about it anymore. Narega has been the biggest program in the world like that, which was launched in India, which was successful, which created purchasing power at the bottom, which really boosted local economy and created community assets. No one talks about it. So I firmly believe that minimum income guarantee, whatever you call it, it doesn't matter what you call Okay. The idea is to put some money in the hands of the poor to be able to buy basic services, food, nutrition, medicine, a little bit of education. I think it's required all over the world. Consumption-based society has created a system where we only produce for the people who can afford to buy. We don't produce for the people who need it. And that idea of trickle-down effect for which we have been waiting for 50 years hasn't happened. Do you see that happening? Because I think you, you put it in such a very profound way that we are producing things for only the people who are buying, not the ones who need it. Now, this capitalism obviously has created deep division, deep inequality, and most of our enterprise community works on a profit at any cost, you know, and that's that's the way forward. I mean, that's what I think is taught from ground up, even in the education system, is, is create more prof, profit, you know, and, and profit at any cost. Is there a system around it? How do you breach that? How do you create a system which is more inclusive, more diverse, and equitable for all? I think to address these set of challenges, I believe we need to redesign the world. You know, I was locked up during Corona crisis for 14 months in this house. And I started thinking about my own journey on connectivity and the journey of all of the technological advances and realize that all of these problems are related to the fundamental design of the world that we created just about the time I was born. After I was born, transistor was born. And transistor fueled a huge revolution, which brought us the kind of connectivity we have today. Today, for the first time in the human history, we are all connected. Never happened before. What does this connectivity mean? Is this connectivity all about basically improving productivity, efficiency, cost reduction, profits, you know, is that the idea of this connectivity? Those are the questions I started asking. Then I realized 
that the world was last designed just about the time I was born. That design was led by U.S., which ultimately gave birth to UN, World Bank, IMF, NATO, WTO, WHO, and measurements, GDP, GNP, per capita income, balance of payment, trade deficit. And this design has improved longevity, sort of provided peace, decreased infant mortality, lifted millions out of poverty. So this design has done pretty well. But unfortunately, in last 75 years, we have not created one single global institution to address the challenges of today. How can one design last for 75 years? So according to me, because of the hyper-connectivity, we need a whole new design. We need a new design because in 75 years, world got decolonized. China could rise to a level no one ever thought. Soviet Union fell apart. Technology has become pervasive. Inequality has increased. 9-11 brought to our attention the role of violence and terror. U.S. imported. And finally, Corona-19 put entire world to halt. No one ever thought that the world will stop functioning for a year and a half. So in this kind of an environment, we have to think about what is next? What does it mean to be going back to normal? What is new normal? Right, right. Yeah, so, so, so. I think everybody wants to go back to what it was. And I am saying, look, that doesn't work. Right. And we need a new design. Until you design it differently, you are not going to be able to solve all the problems we have talked about. I'm so very sorry for interrupting towards the end. So yes, I mean, what whatever you said, I think is something which is endorsed by all the the exponential tech or frontier tech startups who share the ethos but the only problem is most of these traditional industries which you said is over like 70 years old these are the industries that run run the world they run their narrative and they're extremely comfortable with the, the way they are you know right from the banking industry to the government to the education industry and so on and so forth yes there is this technology you know which is coming you know right from blockchain to artificial intelligence to augmented reality virtual reality mixed reality all of these stands to completely transform uh, 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 the way we function but do you think the traditional companies will allow something like this because that is give you an example of the banking industry with the banking industry obviously you know there's blockchain and blockchain has come with decentralized finance which says that you know you will you you will create a financial in ecosystem which is equitable for all but then that also says that the banking industry is going to be disrupted you know so somehow i don't understand why that conversation shouldn't be that you know there's this new technology rather than being hung up of the 70 or 50 years old tradition can't we just iterate and adopt and accept something which is new and move on with the times but most of the traditional industries don't want to give away so they will die so they will die ibm did not adapt so there was apple so there was google so there was amazon so there was facebook g didn't adopt so they will die that's not a problem if banking don't adopt to it banking will die over a period of time new banks will emerge i'm not worried about industrial outlook you see, we tend to see world in terms of manufacturing, industry, business, because we only want to optimize profit. Yeah. These are the institutions to serve people. So I think we need to, that's why, redesign the world in terms of what we value. What do we value? Do we value profit or do we value 
human development. See, Corona crisis tells me that there are only two important things in the world and not three. Business is not part of that. What are the two important things? Planet and people. Planet doesn't need us. We need planet. So we must take care of planet first. That means clean air, clean water. You know, I was looking at landslides in India because of the recent rain. And it is so obvious that there is landslide because there are no trees. Because we have cut all of our trees. So of course there will be mudslide. Because we have not handled our environment well. These things didn't happen in spite of the rain in the past. When I was growing up in Orissa, it was raining like mad for 15 days. No one ever heard of mudslide. Because there are lots of trees. Now you have cut all those trees, so naturally there will be mudslide. So first challenge for all of us is to really take care of our planet. Which includes global warming, includes saving our animals, birds, bees. All of these things should be seen as future business potential and not an expense, but an investment. Right. Second, people. At the end of the day, people matter. We don't treat people well. We discriminate people. We put them in a block, black and white. We differentiate based on religion. We divide people. We make sure people fight between each other. We don't even treat our women well. There is no equality. So we must focus on inclusion. So sustainability and inclusion are the two great challenges in the world. And it has nothing to do with business. It has nothing to do with productivity, efficiency, all that will happen. Right. How do you move focus of the world? Because all young people are taught only to make money, only to aspire to be rich, only to make sure that you set up a business and start up and venture capital and all that. Business schools teach you all about how to extract value. Business schools do not teach you about how to create value for the society. Right. So I think lots of things have to change and that's what this book is about. We will get into the book. I mean, yes, you rightfully pointed out the problems and you said there's not three, but there's only two things, you know, the most important thing in this world and there's a planet and the people and not business. But if you see, unfortunately, the entire world is extremely economically driven. You know, we do understand, we do really know the climate crisis is real, it's causing real problem. You know, the uh, here in India, I mean, from Delhi to Bombay, we've, I think, I believe that there is 22 of the most polluted cities happens to be from India. And but then there's no desire or intent to make a change because change, I believe, comes the most difficult. Nobody wants to. We, we all talk about change. We all talk about sustainability, inclusivity, diversity. And these all sounds nice and fancy words. But, you know, when you're doing it yourself, it, 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 it doesn't come. Most of you have to realize these are not nice and fancy words. That is the problem. These are not nice and fancy words. This is your future. You take pick. You have to decide what you value. At the end of the day, life boils down to what do you value? Would you lie for profit? If answer is yes, you don't value truth. Would you cheat? People do that. So do you believe in truth, trust, love, fellow human being, inclusion, democracy, diversity, freedom? I think ultimately life boils down to this. If you don't believe in it and you believe in profit, at any cost by murdering somebody, I have nothing to talk to you about. So you have to first decide what you believe in. Today, everybody believes only in profit. 
right. at any cost. I will hurt you if I can make five more cents. Then I have nothing to talk to you about. Go do it. I'm not party to it. <clears throat> right. Yeah. That, that that is the sad sad state <laughs> of, of the world, you know, because we are scary. We don't have leaders who believe in it. Right. Don't have Gandhis and Mandelas and Martin Luther Kings of the world. So our role models are who you ask a kid, what do you want to be? He would say Jack Bozo, Bill Gates, because we celebrate 500 richest people in the world. We don't celebrate 500 best teachers in the world, 500 best doctors in the world. So everybody wants to just make money. If that's what you want, more power to you. I can't help. Right, right. To find happiness in that, that's your privilege. Right. Yeah. So, so yes, I think we're living in a world where the basic of the education is is a little twisted, which we push our students, our younger generation, towards creating profit at any cost. And I guess that's the reason we see the climate crisis. That's the reason I think the last couple of weeks itself, there was this huge disruption all across the world. In South Africa, uh, it, it was snowing. You, there, there was rain, uh, heavy rain and flooding in China, Austria, Germany. There was dust, sandstorm. And, and, and in Maharashtra, there was flooding. And, and, and there is, it, it's, it's about creating that difference in, uh, and making a change and that is not happening and that I, 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 maybe if we do not make a change right now maybe we'll, we will actually not have a planet you know because we are uh, pushing ourselves towards you know creating a climate which is getting more and more hot you know so talking about your book redesign the world would you like to give like what would be the mandate you know i mean what's the vision if you want to create a better ecosystem a better world what would be the framework going back to your comments on floods and damage done by the environment you got to look at that in light of profits look at the damage done because of floods in germany <clears throat> or in india are we better off investing to prevent that flood or have flood every year Financially, it is viable to first take care of our planet. It is not something that is a loss-making proposition. Not taking care of planet, planet is a loss-making proposition every year, year after year. So that has to be understood. So going back to the old design, old design was based on democracy. I believe democracy is the answer. In a hyper-connected world, every individual is being empowered. This is no longer a phone, it is an instrument to empower human beings. So it will further democratize systems, democratize knowledge, decentralize implementation, and demonetize services. This requires connectivity, content, context, and a whole lot of things. So first task in the new design is to enhance democracy, but make it inclusive. Today's democracy is not inclusive. It is not inclusive in India, it is not inclusive in America, it is not inclusive anywhere. People are discriminated, people are divided based on race, religion, caste, color, you know, language, boundaries, whatever. So we must change the design from democracy to inclusive democracy. Second, human rights. Human rights are not good enough. Good, but not good enough. We need human needs. 
leave, we live in an era we can produce anything. We have to decide what is that we want to produce. So we must focus on human needs. Today we spend $2 trillion a year on defense. For one-tenth of the price, $200 billion, you can eliminate hunger forever. So why don't you focus on that? It's not rocket science. So you must take human rights to human needs. Third, capitalism, the way it is, doesn't work for everybody. Capitalism has become crony capitalism. There are clubs that help only rich, rich get together, discuss about poverty, but never tackle poverty. They only look at their interests. Look at what happened during Corona crisis. Wealth of the rich went up by huge number. Now, what kind of capitalism is that? So you need new capitalism. You need capitalism that is bottom up and not top down. You need capitalism which is decentralized. You need capitalism which looks at small is beautiful and not mega factories to scale, network to scale. You need capitalism which looks at globalization and localization at the same time. You have to decide what to globalize and what not to globalize. You cannot have a Ganpati statue coming from China. I said, funny thing. Why can't Indians make Ganpati? That globalization has to be questioned. It is not that if you are for localization, you are against globalization. It's not true. Because nothing is black and white. Everything is shade of grays. Some more gray, some less gray. Capitalism is the key to creating new world order. You cannot build world based on consumption. If Americans buy more goods during Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays, people in India, China, Korea, everybody gets happy. What kind of a system is that? When rich buy more, poor are happy because they got some work, but they don't get enough. So you got to create a system which focuses on conservation and sustainability, not consumption. We got to conserve our resource. And finally, I hope as human civilization, we have gotten to a point where we can sort our differences across the table, that we can have a discussion, dialogue collectively and not build nuclear armament to kill each other. Spend more money in killing people right. than in saving lives. And Corona crisis has shown us that. But this is not rocket science. But it has to come from within. It has to come in the minds of enlightened individuals. We don't have the kind of leadership we need in the world today. Leadership is parochial, petty, incompetent most of the time with narrow interest and they want to preserve their power by dividing people, not by uniting people. That's the world we have created. And that's why I thought it's important to write a book. Not that this book is going to solve the world's problem. Not that lots of people will pay attention. That's not the point. The point is some young people like you will begin new conversation. You know, I many times say that my grandparents gave me a world which was simple, which was poor, but clean. I am giving my children a world that is complex, <coughs> rich, but polluted. That's right. the world we live in. You opened up so many things. I mean, it's just that if we have a collective will, which we definitely lack, you know, there, 
it, like you said it's not rocket science it's actually quite simple all that you require is a collective will you know the leadership at the top at this point in time you mentioned they have narrow interest and most of the people adopt divide and rule because that's the only way you get to rule over the people who are not smart you know but I, yeah so i hope that there is a change in the ecosystem and i hope that technology plays a role in creating an equitable future so i am extremely positive about the role of technology you know uh, and i hope that that ignites and, and conversations i guess it's all about these conversations you know when you have in, yeah, i'm in also worried about technology that technology can be misused like we are doing right 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 social media is completely misused to propagate lies technology has been a double edged sword so it requires people with the will to create impact with technology and genuine change rather than disruption and that is possible so it really depends upon the choice that we make technology is not bad the people are bad the people the way they use it so technology in are also not bad yeah no no i'm, I'm not saying people. that the, the, yeah. the some people yeah. who choose yeah. to use technology in a bad way obviously it'll go towards the bad side you know so so you are regarded as the father of india's it industry you know credited it with having laid the foundation of india's telecommunication technology revolution then you were also the advisor to our ex prime ministers mr rajiv gandhi and dr manmohan singh would you like to talk a little bit about that your journey your implementation your initiatives over there so you know my work in india started in 79 80 1980 in a sense where i started exploring possibility of working in telecom in india to connect india <clears throat> i had an opportunity to give a one hour presentation to mrs indira gandhi who was then prime minister in her entire cabinet at that presentation i emphasized the fact that telecom and it <coughs> could change the face of india india needs to be connected because it's such a diverse country and india can be a leader in it because you have lot of young talent and it don't require too much infrastructure in factories and all all you need is paper and pencil and a good mind to write software and she was convinced and she agreed to set up a center for development of telematics to really transform telecom and it we set that up in 1984 it was a government institution funded by government then with 36 million dollars and 3 years plan <clears throat> unfortunately she got assassinated right after that rajiv gandhi became prime minister he was young energetic visionary tax savvy and he and i clicked and i was so excited that with his kind of leadership india will really transform so i decided to come back from america with my wife and children change my nationality back to indian from american and had an opportunity to work with him until 1991 i worked on telecom and technology missions related to water immunization literacy edible oil milk production and telecom in those days we also looked at environment as a potential mission housing as a potential mission and floods and drought at the same time as a potential mission <clears throat> but the idea was to use technology to solve large problems of the population at the bottom of the economic pyramid i had great time romantic time did lot of interesting things 
as you know, then we had 2 million telephones. And it used to take 10 years to get telephone connection. Now we have 1.2 billion phones. Then we had zero software export. Now we have 180-200 billion dollar worth of software export every year, year after year. India has been transformed because of this. We got a lot of foreign exchanges are our Indians went abroad, made name. You look at Silicon Valley, it is full of Indians. You look at some of the biggest companies in the world like Microsoft, Google are run by Indians. You go to Singapore, there are 5,000 people from IITs and IIMs. So the contribution of the seed that we planted then is huge, not just nationally, but globally. Then Rajiv Gandhi got killed. I had a heart attack, portable bypass. I had run out of money. I had two children ready to go to college. So I decided to come back to US after Rajiv Gandhi's death. I did work with VP Singh, Chandrasekhar, Narsinara, Devi Gauda, Indrajit Gujral. I worked with all of them as the advisor on paper, but didn't do much in those days. But when I came to US, I didn't have a visa to come back because I had given up my nationality. So I came as a tourist, but you couldn't work as a tourist. So I had to set up a business in my wife's name, worked on that, rebuild my life, then went to London and set up a bank to privatize telecom in developing countries with the help of UN. I ran a bank for seven years called World Health. And then once again, when Congress came to power and Dr. Manmohan Singh became Prime Minister, I first became advisor or member of the National Advisory Council with Mrs. Sonia Gandhi, and then worked on the next phase of development. By then I realized that telecom and IT is done. It's on autopilot. Indian entrepreneurs have taken over and they were doing a great job. And it was really work of large number of people. We planted seeds, but young Indian talent, local entrepreneurs, government policies, all of that had to help to really get us where we are. The next big challenge I thought had to do with three things. One, education, education, education. We needed to really set up a national knowledge commission to provide a blueprint for education for the next 20 years. Then we had to digitize India. So we said, let's create fiber optic network to connect 1100 nodes to connect all our universities, all our libraries, and all our science and technology institutions at the cost of three, four billion dollars. Then let's connect all our panchayats, 250,000 with optical fiber. So a lot of these programs under the name of information infrastructure, <coughs> we launched. Digitization of India was part of that core network. And then finally, we had to promote innovation. So we declared 2010 to 2020 as a decade of innovation. Innovation, not just in products and services, innovations in processes, governance, education, health, agricultural, create innovation culture, innovation at clusters. So we did a lot of that. And then again, when Congress lost, I didn't see wasting time in India. So I came back to US again to put my life in order. So that's my 
quick journey thank you for sharing your journey you know it's it's been it, it, it's it's not a, a journey which has been smooth you know it's it has its own ups, ups and downs you know because normally you know when you read about someone who's successful you have a, a, a idea that oh everything has been smooth sailing but you you said that things were ups and downs and it's been my highs have been very high yeah. and my lows have been very low thank you for laying down the foundation of you know what we now use and are so you uh, you know can't do without it and it goes to lots of people credit right. goes to lots of people right i think like this can be done by one person right and lot of young indian talent must be complimented lot of indian entrepreneurs must be complimented government policy makers must be complimented but at the end of the day Rajiv Gandhi provided political will needed to plant the right seeds. Yeah, I, I think that's what we need. What we need is a will. And you said in the beginning of the conversation that you know we live in a world which is interconnected and hyperconnected, and 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 connectivity plays such a huge role. You know, right from your mobiles to uh, social media, it, it's given us the opportunity. You know, today because of internet. you could be sitting in urban area or rural area you have the same knowledge which has you know everybody else has got you know so only thing that stops you is the desire and intent there's something called as moocs massive open online courses which is education for free so so i believe that because of the accessibility of technology i mean you have the opportunity to create business sitting from any part of the world and create businesses that actually touch lives of billions billions of people rather than just running behind profit now the technology like i mentioned you know it's also got its pros and cons you know i mean there is obviously uh, right now there is the what what's going on here in india is project pegasus you know that the how the government uh, is snooping on its journalists and also uh, or ministers including rahul gandhi and uh, what are your views on some something like that have, you, have the, the ruling party crossed the line well you know the answer okay to the question you are asking you don't use these tools against your own people in fact you don't use these tools against anybody unless it was a real terror or a threat to a country or threat to lives of lots of people it doesn't make sense to go against your own people in a democracy just to control power how can you snoop over your own people to control power what kind of a mind you have what kind of a heart you have can you expect me to believe that you can rule the country you expect me to believe that you have country's interest at heart i don't buy that anybody who can do things like this doesn't get my respect period right right yeah and, and there are some really weird things happening in the social media i mean i will just like to give this experience which i've seen recently i was on mr rahul gandhi's uh, twitter page and he tweeted a simple tweet which said that what are the books that you're reading you know i mean and the tweet got some really negative response there was like thousand thousand of trolls and i just couldn't understand what was going on but then i realized that you know there is facebook has taken down 1.3 billion fake accounts uh Uh, this year down from 1.7 billion fake accounts in the corresponding quarter in 2020 prime minister uh, modi has 60% of the followers 60% of the followers are, are, are fake followers so there's something weird going on i i, I hope that there's nothing weird going on there's nothing weird going on it's very simple <laughs> yes. see it is you know the problem lies in the fact that you have unauthenticated behavior 
So when I do something, immediately trolls get on to me. I don't pay attention because I know they are all fake. I know that they are all paid. What difference does it make? Somebody says, oh, have you heard this? Somebody is against you. I said, who cares? Okay, I don't even look at it. Because if you look at it, it bothers you. The best thing to do is just ignore it. Saying these are a bunch of idiots, incompetent paid people who are asked to troll. Poor people have been taken advantage of by giving them money to attack you. You can't give them importance. So somebody says that, look, Rahul Gandhi tweeted this or XYZ tweeted this and this was the response. Big deal, nah. It, this response has no meaning. So I never pay attention. Right, yeah. The world is, is you know, I mean, suddenly, I mean, obviously, the social media is taking over. The business model of social media is wrong. Right. I get higher valuation by saying I got 4 billion accounts, of which 2 billion are fake. Right. I also get valued based on the clicks. So if there's bad news, wrong news, there'll be more clicks. Right. You know, you can tweet today and say, Sam Petroda got injured badly. It'll get 5 million clicks because of friends and family and brothers and cousins and all. Then you say, Sam Petroda is my dog. You'll get another 5 million clicks. So this is all fake. Yeah, we've got gotten into a weird world. You know, I mean, I, I so so my last question. I've been someone who's been invested in augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality. So I feel that it is going to lay down the future of education. We're going to move from carrying or technology right from mobiles to laptops to wearing technology you know and, and and that's the future and then 5g is something which is going to enable that future somebody who's been invested in the telecom and the it industry what do you think is going to be the future of india how do you think technology is going to benefit us you know would you like to give your technology has always benefited india whether it is in agriculture green revolution milk revolution eradicating polio Technology will help India, has helped India. It may be a little late in some cases, but ultimately Indian talent will prevail in India or abroad and use right tools to benefit people. So I'm always high on technology, but technology is an entry point to bring about generational change. Technology is a tool and we have to learn to use that tool effectively. And I am confident in young people like you all that it will happen. Thank you. Thanks a lot for being part of the podcast. Wish you the very best for your book, Redesign the World. And we definitely need to redesign the world because there's so many wrongs. And for the first time in our human history, we've got the chance to look at the wrongs and possibly do a course correct. And it's it's the choice that we make will create a better future. And we have the choice. And I hope that we come together and understand the wrongs of the world and try and correct that. And thank you once again for being part of the podcast. And to my listeners, if you like what you see in here, please press the subscribe button. Until next time, see you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity.